looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you very much for joining us right here on a new week of uh, uh, October uh, 2017. Can you believe it? It's uh, the last week of this month. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Mushatama. Remember, we're on the shortwave service 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. Uh, That's uh, to our friends on the African continent. And also, you can listen to us in South Africa and neighboring countries on DSTV on channel 802 on the audio bouquet. Uh, don't forget that we are also on our website. You can stream us live on www.channelafrica.co.za. But today we're looking at the sad event that took place uh, uh, last week in terms of the 300 people who were killed in a huge uh, bomb blast in Mogadishu in Somalia. Uh, demonstrations have taken place in the Somali capital Mogadishu following this huge bomb blast that is now thought to have killed more than 300 people. Hundreds others were injured and many people are still missing after the blast at one of the city's busiest junctions. It now appears likely to have been carried out by the Islamist militant group Al-Shabaab. Well, that's what the claim is from the government. The truck bomb exploded next to a fuel truck, increasing the number of people killed and injured. Now let's listen to BBC's Alistair Laidhood who reports there at the uh, scene of of Mogadishu, giving us a real sense of what's happening on the ground. Well, the cleanup and the salvage operation has been going on for days now. This used to be a painting and decorating shop. The guys that are covering the pots of paint, tiles, just getting what they can from this. What's amazing is how quickly people are getting back to trying to get things to normal. They're building the the roof and the walls back on this building. This was a busy shopping area on one of the busiest days of the week. The twisted metal and concrete rubble of a four-story hotel has already been removed. The dead have been buried. Abdiaziz Goda is the city's director of sanitation. So do you clean up after every explosion, after every bomb attack in the city? Yeah, yes, since 2014 until now. And this was the 42 times. 42nd explosion that you cleaned up after? Yeah. Is this the worst? This was the worst. They're already resurfacing the road on the spot where Mogadishu's biggest ever truck bomb went off in heavy traffic, coincidentally next to a fuel tanker, amplifying the blast, killing and injuring up to a thousand people. This junction, kilometre five, probably wasn't the intended target. It's thought this was a well-planned Al-Shabaab attack that went wrong. With so many civilians dead, they've not admitted responsibility. But something important has changed in Mogadishu. Fear of Al-Shabaab has turned to anger. As we filmed, a riot broke out. Rocks were thrown, shots were fired, people were killed. It's an anger that needs to be tamed directed at al-Shabaab, not the security forces or the government. The mayor of Mogadishu said the explosion has changed people. 
It's brought them together in condemnation of the attack. And it was the same message from the crowds demonstrating at the football stadium. Well, this is the main football stadium in the middle of Mogadishu. It's already packed with people, and there are dozens, if not hundreds, making their way from various other parts of town to come here for this demonstration that's been called, essentially, to protest against this attack, to, against Al-Shabaab. A lot of people are wearing these red scarves around their heads. That's a symbol of defiance and saying, this is it, this is the red line, no more. This bandana symbolizes the blood of the people who died in the terror attack, she said. I came here to mourn them. I'm very sorry that my people died. These people, we can't stop. Because they are just, they are just among us. Repairing the damage is quick. Rebuilding the state is a lot harder. Unless this talk of unity becomes reality. Well, uh, that is a report there by BBC's Alistair Laidherd. You just can hear the tension on the ground there in Mogadishu. A lot of voices uncertain about uh, the future of their city and more importantly of uh, their country. But to help us uh, to unpack uh, the situation, we're joined on the line by Ahmed Soliman, who is a research associate uh, in the Horn of Africa program, which is a part of Chatham House. I think Ahmed is joining us uh, from London, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jasmine Opperman is the director of the Southern Africa Operations at Terrorism Research and Analysis Consortium, uh, joining us once again on our program. Now, I want to start this conversation uh, with uh, you, uh, Jasmine, looking at it from uh, this terrorism perspective. More than 300 people were killed as we've been uh, speaking about as we introduced this program when a a powerful bomb blast ripped through Mogadishu. Was this a standalone event which took place in Somalia? It seems that there is a history here when it comes to uh, Al-Shabaab and uh, these uh, uh, particular uh, terrorism attacks. We also heard the president of the country, Mohamed Abdullahi Famajo's claim that this is an Al-Shabaab uh, incident. But uh, there are those who say we're not quite sure because Al-Shabaab hasn't actually uh, responded to this particular attack. Your thoughts, Jasmine? Uh, Good morning and good morning to your listeners. First of all, I think it's important that we note that last night on the Al-Qaeda Al-Hishra Telegram channel, Al-Shabaab has released a formal statement in which they denied any involvement in the attack. Now, that is to be expected. If one looks at the broader context, though, if one looks at 2017 alone with over 30 attacks, um, in Mogadishu and surroundings itself, and we're looking at over 700 people being killed or injured during these attacks. If one looks at the tactics being used and the likely targets they have intended, this all indicates that it has been an Al-Shabaab attack that has gone wrong. I don't think we can argue against that. Um, Al-Shabaab's response is to be expected. Um, as their propaganda message and their presence in Somalia is all about establishing shadow government structures, uh, presenting an alternative that is better than that the Somali government is presenting, and then seeking collaboration with with clan leaders um, in seeking expanding control. Al-Shabaab is also uh, always seeking control around Mogadishu, controlling the um, infrastructure, controlling the main roads, as to secure and maintain their access. 
into Mogadishu. Uh, their presence in Mogadishu is undeniable in terms of the frequency of attacks. This attack, however, stands out in terms of casualties. Well, I want to bring that complexity to you, um, uh, uh, Ahmed, because as we heard there from uh, Jasmine highlighting that the strategy or some of the the stylistic uh, uh, ways in which uh, this uh, uh, bomb blast uh, has occurred is actually Al-Shabaab style. But what makes it complicated is their assertiveness that they were not responsible for this attack. From your perspective, Ahmed, what is going on here? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, the denial is one thing, uh, um, but, but I think the hallmarks of the attack, as, as uh, your guest said, is, is, is clearly one which has, has you know, belonged to al-Shabaab and al-Shabaab attacks in the past. I think maybe the response is as a result of uh, the amount of blowback that al-Shabaab is receiving because of this attack. I mean, you have tens of thousands of people protesting across several cities in the country. You have a sense that this is enough in terms of this kind of attack, which has been propagated time and time again and uh, on a very frequent and increasing basis in Mogadishu, not, not, not of the scale of this attack, but this type of attack, uh, you know, trying to hit soft targets, military targets, trying to hit government institutions, trying to hit, um, you know, the the the, the bases of, of those countries who are providing support to reconstruction efforts in in Somalia, um, and it it really is a sign that that Somalis across the country are fed up, and the president is trying to, in some ways, uh, take advantage of this to build unity. You know, something that. When, when he was elected in February in, in 2017, seemed to be prominent once again. Clans being able to breach divides, being able to come together and support the government in its, in its efforts to, to move towards a more representative uh, politics, to move towards uh, uh, you know, a tri- type of government that is actually able to provide and deliver services for its people, fill the, fill the void of, uh, of areas left by al-Shabaab uh, and try and build its own national security services. Um, but this is, again, as, as we've seen in previous governments in, in Somalia, there has been a, a roadblocks there, there has been infighting within the political sphere in Somalia that has put brakes on this quite quickly. So he's trying to build up this momentum again uh, and, and, and uh, you know, you see that with uh, with announcements of, of a continued state of war. I don't think we were under any illusion that we weren't already experiencing a state of war against al-Shabaab, uh, but also trying to build a civil defense force and urging the youth and government workers and civilians to join and register and defend the nation. So this is an escalation in, in, in that sense. Well, that's interesting that you highlight that because there is a huge history behind the politics of Somalia that we know uh, very well. And I just want to come to you, Jasmine, because you highlighted a very much uh, important phrase uh, when you started the conversation looking at uh, the nature of these attacks. And you were looking as well briefly at the intention of why Al-Shabaab would be interested in Somalia as a space 
space or a geographical location for control itself. And you highlighted the issue of uh, them wanting to establish a shadow government. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, if one looks at their propaganda messages and their, their um, photo reports, and they're quite active, uh, just to interrupt myself, uh, with their propaganda these days, um, you always see them providing services. You see the Hispan men close uh, resembles of how the Islamic State has done it, interestingly enough, in terms of talking to the young, in terms of educating the young, in terms of providing a judicial system, in terms of providing food and uh, supplies where there is a food crisis to the local population. Now, this is all needless to say, all propaganda. But here is a message to the people of Somalia is that, look, what we can present to you is far better than that the Somalian government is presenting to you. Now, Al-Shabaab's strength has not increased significantly, and I think we must not be fooled by the, by the propaganda message. But there's a vulnerability gap, and this is where Al-Shabaab steps in. The vulnerability gap is the Somalian government faced with the whole issue of establishing a credible and legitimate governance structure that will be seen as uh, delivering services to the people. Uh, the Somali government is also trapped in a situation of financial constraints, being overly, rel- overly reliant on uh, foreign donors like Saudi Arabia, uh, Qatar, and we've seen the issue about that in Somalia manifesting itself. So you said with the Somali government, and the concern with the war on terror paradigm is fine. We do need stability. We do need a credible defense force to counter Al-Shabaab. But there's a message beyond a war on terror paradigm that needs to be emphasized. And how effective the government is going to be in buying in the, the tribal diversity, the clan leaders, into a process of supporting the Somali government is by far the greatest challenge. The concern is just the foreign dimension, the foreign agendas at play in Somalia, and the war on terror paradigm allows these foreign players to keep on and persisting with their presence and driving uh, financial allocations into a defense budget. Well, I'm going to take a quick break, and I want you to elaborate on that, Ahmed, because we know that uh, uh, this has been a big issue when it comes to the, the governance of Somalia, what uh, Jasmine is highlighting there. We know that we've seen a lot of problems and promises since the uh, post-transition roadmap period in Somalia, even with this current uh, uh, government with Mohammed Ubdali Farmajo, as you highlighted, trying to assert uh, the confidence in the current uh, government. But we hear those dynamics of uh, Jasmine seeing the Al-Shabaab as uh, taking advantage of the current uh, uh, disparities that we are seeing in Somalia. Let's take a quick one and uh, we'll uh, uh, come back to you. Remember, you can uh, be part of the conversation on our African Dialogue Twitter handle. At African Dialogue is the Twitter handle. And uh, we're asking what are the consequences of the Somalia attack. Uh, give us your thoughts. That's at African dialogue give us your views there let's take a quick one and we'll be back attention to our listeners from the 30th of october 2017 the first hour of africa digest will not be broadcast on channel 802 on the dstv audio bouquet 
1700 Hours Show will only be found on shortwave and online on www.channelafrica.co.za. Please note that this only applies to the 1700 Hours Central African Time Show. The 1900 Hours Central African Time Program will be back on all the platforms. Channel Africa, giving you an African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us. The time right now is 22 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. On the line, we're joined by Ahmed de Soliman, who is a research associate in the Horn of Africa and Africa program at the Chatham House. Uh, he works on uh, really the areas of politics of Somalia, the Sudan, Ethiopia and Eritrea. He's uh, uh, written a couple and contributed in a couple of books. Uh, he has been a co-author in the chapter of the 2014 book The Neighbours of the European Union's Neighbours is also contributed to the report of the EU Strategic Framework for the Horn of Africa A Critical Assessment of Impact and Opportunities Well, also joining us on our program once again is Jasmine Opperman who is the Director of the Southern Africa Operations of Terrorism Research and Analysis uh, She has uh, very much of uh, a big, big uh, landscape in terms of concern consultation in the areas of business risk opportunity and political information on the african uh, continent they're both joining us on the program today as we zoom in on this horrible horrible situation that we saw uh, last week of 300 people uh, being killed and even uh, today we're seeing cleanups still uh, taking place uh, in uh, the uh, capital of mogadishu now let's come back to that political situation ahmed because that was some Something that uh, uh, Jasmine was highlighting in terms of the vulnerabilities in the uh, political landscape in uh, uh, Somalia. Let's look just for our listeners at uh, where Somalia finds itself politically right now. We know that it has been a big, big process in terms of uh, the transition from one leader to another. And uh, we saw uh, the real, real tensions also being ripened uh, by uh, the terrorism activities in Somalia. Can you just give us a breakdown, just briefly, uh, maybe from the period of 2012 to where we find ourselves currently in Somalia? Sure. I mean, I think it's important just to quickly start before, you know, and, and mention that sure. state collapse in, in, in Somalia happened in 1991. Sure. And so ever since that period, you know, you've over 20 years uh, of where insecurity is really the crucial driver in Somalia. Uh, this is what the internal uh, players are all competing over, a, a very divided uh, situation which is shaping both regional and international agendas uh, and interventions in the country. But, but as you say, since 2012, there has been kind of a sense of a, a shift in the political landscape, uh, both in Mogadishu and in south-central uh, Somalia, uh, and, and in 2017, in February, we had what you could argue was a third successful transfer of, of, of power from one president to another. So in some ways, you have this real progress, which, which in, in some African countries, in, in, in particular in the Horn of Africa, you don't see this political transition happening very often. Uh, but, but you have to realize that it's, it's really beholden on, on the international support, which Jasmine mentioned earlier. So you've had 
uh, Western countries, Gulf states, um, pouring money into to Somalia, uh, both on the on the development side, but more uh, more effectively on on the security side. Uh, the African Union mission uh, has been paid for largely by by the European Union in terms of wages, but for ten years that political progress that has happened in Somalia has been underpinned by the security efforts of the African Union forces, largely you know, made up of regional forces from Uganda, Kenya, Ethiopia, uh, Burundi, Sierra Leone, and other countries uh, fighting against um, the Al-Qaeda-aligned Al-Shabaab. And, and, and what you have at the moment is a very nascent federal system uh, which is overlaying the very complex clan system that exists within, within the country. So this very young federal architecture is, is very uncertain at the moment. And what we're seeing is a continued contestation of that. You're seeing the federal member states trying to assert themselves, as we've seen over the, the Gulf, siding with the Gulf crisis with, uh, with the United Arab Emirates and Saudi Arabia, uh, where the, whereas the central government wants to remain neutral. Um, uh, you have local contexts varying very significantly, but at the same time, this internationally backed fast-track uh, state formation process uh, and division of Somalia into five regional states plus the capital region, Banadir, uh, which was only really completed, and if you can call it completed, it's, it's being quite kind, uh, in September, October 2016. And since we, having seen four federal member states emerge since 2012, we're already seeing that con contestation happening, uh, tensions increasing in, in, in new federal member states such as Galmadug and Ishebele. So you've got this very uncertain situation, even in, uh, in, in the, in, you know, the semi-autonomous more stable region of Puntland, an increased level of al-Shabaab activity, in, uh, a heightened level of clan uh, contestation, uh, and, and, and overlaying that, you have the humanitarian issues, the drought, which has been particularly bad in the last year or so. Um, and so you have these developmental issues that overlay the security and the politics. So it's, it's really a cauldron, uh, which makes it very difficult for a, for the federal government, which has limited reach, let's not forget, you know, it exists in Mogadishu, but we have these federal member states with their own presidents and a limited reach of the federal government to be able to, uh, to, to really have influence uh, outside of uh, Mogadishu and sure. Banadir. This is, this is the situation in Somalia. Um, let me bring it to you, Jasmine, because I think that uh, Ahmed uh, really unpacked uh, the current climate that we're seeing it from that uh, 2010 to 12 transition period moving forward. And also, I appreciate that Ahmed also highlighted the African Union's role in the terrorism fight and also how it was very important for um, uh, Somalia as a country to redefine itself from a security perspective. But most people are questioning the, that fight. Has it been successful? Especially questions coming after this uh, latest uh, uh, bomb blast. Uh, those uh, uncertainties are still now bubbling under uh, Mogadishu's society as a, as a whole, Jasmine. 
Yes, and I want to compliment Ahmed for summarizing the complexities quite well. I think the, the problem we are, we are facing in, in Somalia, is, uh, like you said, it's not unique to Somalia. We are seeing it uh, in other areas as well. Mm-hmm. But fundamentally, this, uh, this upswell against uh, Al-Shabaab now, the, the big issue is how is government going to sustain this moment? We must remember that we are sitting here with, with Amisom deployments, um, which brings in a regional interest, and there are great concerns. And in respect to the successes they had, great concerns with, with the actual payment of soldiers, the actual sustainability from a financial perspective. And um, we're also sitting with a government that is not stretching out and does not have the level of control what is needed to counter Al-Shabaab at this point in time. And this is what I've been referring to previously. This is exactly where the vulnerability lies for the Somali government. Um, For as long as there is not a trust relationship, for as long as the Somali government is going to be perceived by criticism in neglecting the socio-economic development of areas and not addressing the needs of the people, the war terror will simply not succeed. Uh, What is needed at this point from the government is to go out and take this moment in ensuring and securing and showing a better alternative. A speech at a stadium is not going to be sustainable. People want tangible, tangible results. Mm. And that is the unfortunate situation. The, 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 the expectations are unrealistically high on the government, and government has to deliver. That's interesting because there is that socio-economic aspect of why the strive is continuing. It seems like the government does have multi-layered challenges, Ahmed, as was alluded to there by Jasmine. I mean, that's extremely right. The government is, has a lot of challenges, as, as we both outlined, and, and, is, and is very limited in its capability of meeting those challenges. Um, uh, especially without continued international support, and and that's I, I guess you know what we're seeing in terms of uh, a direction is is possibly a worrying one because you have the you know discussions and movements towards a drawdown of African Union forces. Uh, so you're talking about you know trying to transition the security picture in Somalia from from an African Union force to a Somali National Army. And while that's important, and, and there should be regularised uh, Somali National Armed Forces and you know and, and, and civil forces, federal and regional police as well. If we're talking about the drawdown of African Union forces at a time when the government is trying to show increased capacity and trying to reach more people, I think that's that's where you come into real difficulty because the government won't be able to improve livelihoods. Uh, for people in the in the way that people are expecting, uh, and, and and but I do think security and, and not to overlabor the point is one area where where really people do expect now um, a significant change. They mm-hmm. do expect Al Shabaab to be contained. Um, they, you know, it, it is right to say Al Shabaab has been moved from removed from the majority of urban centres. In, in the country, it doesn't control major port areas. It doesn't have, you know, large presence on the coast. It does have to resort to these asymmetric guerrilla-style attacks on soft targets. 
So there is a degree of success there. Uh, but it's the next stage of that, and trying to trying to really push forward with the uh, with the with with the you know the government's main work, and not getting tied up in in dis disunity and disagreement, mm. um, and trying to set some of this development agenda. Because at the moment there is international attention, wants and support. If that does fade, then this current you know, government will, will probably struggle to, to remain in existence as it is. And, and that, I think, is also part of why we're seeing a strengthening of uh, the federal member states and the federal leaders, because mm -hmm. there is an understanding there that there is a, a kind of, uh, you know, an antithesis to, to really strong central-based governance mm -hmm. within Somalia, which, which goes back historically into Siad Barre's time. Um, but there, there needs to be, you know, local centres of governance, local centres of security and control, which from there can spread uh, development as well. And so it, it's, as we said, we're at the very early stages of this process, mm. uh, this federalisation process. So it's very difficult to see how long it will, uh, how long it will be able to go on for, and what, what, what continued support the international community will provide for Somalia. Uh, but we are seeing you know, different levels of actors, different kinds of international actors who seem to, to, to be uh, interested for different reasons. So you have you know, the Turks who seem to be very committed and engaged in the country, working with the federal government. You have the Emiratis uh, who, are, who are a strong president who seem to be uh, you know, working both with the central government but wanting to uh, establish relationships with the federal member states mm -hmm. themselves as well. Then you have the international community coming in and working on development issues, working on governance building and strengthening. So you have these, as well as security sector reform in terms of the Somali National Army. So you have these multi-layered approaches, but really, you know, can the government itself at the federal level really ever be legitimate in, in a sense to, to its people without being able to provide services across the country. And that's very difficult. There needs to be a unified sense of government. Uh, and really, President Famaggio, in that sense, uh, faces a really huge task of uniting a country which is you know, composed of disparate so-called federal member states, mm. each of which has its own distinct clan composition and its own distinct clan loyalties. Mm. And, and what you're seeing now emerging in several of those states is strong men who are seen as locally more important and more powerful in their territories than the president. So mm. Farmanjo's maybe best chance of success relies on building and maintaining a broad alliance of these leaders and of clans without you know, succumbing to a horse trading continually of, of government funds and international funds. So trying to build an alliance to work together. And this, this environment now created by this attack and, and Farmanjo's calls for unity provides that opportunity to, to bring uh, those leaders together when they seem to be moving further apart. So it remains to be seen whether they can make the most of this opportunity to, to reset the agenda, go back to the you know beginning where, when the elections were held and when Farmaggio became president, and, and build on a positive narrative rather than one which is uh, you know slowly breaking breaking them apart.
Let me come to you, Jasmine, as we wrap it up uh, in terms of, of that point that was made by Ahmed there. Uh, very, very much of a big task uh, there for uh, Prime Minister uh, Farmajo there. I mean, he won the first round of voting, uh, 88 to 70 votes in the field of more than uh, 20 candidates. He won fairly, and it seems like he has been respected internationally uh, in terms of his uh, accolades and his his within uh, his, the business field and also in terms of his uh, humanitarianism in Somalia. But is this not a task that's too uh, big for him, uh, Jasmine? I think we should be realistic here. Yeah, I think, um, like I've just indicated, this is a process. Democracy is sure. not only about one round of elections. Yeah. We voted into power sure. and so sure. we've got democracy. Establishing consolidated democracy in Somalia has got numerous channels challenges. And I think it starts at basics. It starts to be um, a process where soldiers are actually getting paid. It starts the process where your civil servants are getting paid, where they are being put in a position to engage communities in a tangible way and start delivering. Uh, it will not happen overnight. Let's face it, there's a lot of mistrust. Uh, towards um, the Somali National uh, Defense Force and for, for accusations that they actually collaborated, they, that they defeated al-Shabaab uh, by means of selling arms and uh, therefore allowed and therefore seeing continued attacks in Mogadishu. Um, building this relationship is not going to be a one-man show, it's not going to be a one-government show, it is going to take time, it's going to be time consuming, but at the same time, and this is where the complex comes in, this is the ideal situation for al-Shabaab, we're going to see al-Shabaab continuing with their attacks, we're going to see them continuing with their propaganda messages, and we're going to see them intensifying the campaign now to regain and to show that they are continuously and that they are presenting an alternative that no one else can, can present to them. Well, interesting uh, times there. A lot of uncertainties uh, on the African continent. I was just uh, reading this morning, being alerted to the Nigerian uh, uh, bombings there that have taken place even in Boko Haram. Uh, So it's becoming very much of something that's really rising up again on the African continent. There was a point that we thought things were a little bit more silent, but it seems like there is a resurgence of uh, these uh, terrorist groups. But uh, as we heard from... uh, uh, the leader in uh, uh, Somalia, Mohamed Abdullahi Majo, saying that they will actually be on the front lines. They will be bring so many resources against this fight against terrorism. Well, we'll wait and see what happens. But let's just thank our guests for their participation and our analysis and breakdown of uh, the current situation in uh, Somalia. Thank you to Ahmed Soleiman, who's a research associate in the Horn of Africa. Africa program at Chatham House. Uh, joining us from London, Jasmine uh, Opperman uh, joins us in South Africa. Uh, she is the director of the Southern Africa Operations of the Terrorism Research and Analysis Consortium. Uh, thank you both uh, for breaking things down. They can become very, very complex. So we appreciate uh, the simplicity of how you uh, tackled this particular issue to give us uh, the bigger context of the situation. So we appreciate you both. Thank you. Thank you so much.
Fantastic. Now that takes us to 11.41 Central African time. Remember, we are on our Twitter handle, at African Dialogue. Let's make the circle bigger. Uh, let's uh, make it uh, more of a bigger community. We want to hear from you. We want you to interact with us. We want you to find out what's happening more on the program. The Twitter handle is at African Dialogue. Don't forget our uh, Facebook page as well here on Channel Africa. It's simply titled uh, Channel Africa. It's been growing, growing in the last two years or so. So do uh, continue to interact with that particular page. Well, that's how we wrap it up. Let's have some music. Uh, this one is titled Lucky Dube, uh, which is uh, timely for this conversation. This one is titled uh, War and Crime. Yeah. 